Hey educators, what's the scoop? Are you ready to be inspired by great things happening in rural Arizona classrooms? The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas, an innovative curriculum. We'll dive into current school issues and we'll highlight what's working in your rural communities. You will hear from a variety of teachers, administrators, and educational professionals who will provide relevant and engaging content each episode. And now, serving up the Rural Scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Sador. Thank you, listeners, for joining us today for another episode of the Rural Scoop. I have Chris Lineberry with us, a school principal who has a focus on the whole child and has implemented some programming around cowboy ethics that is happening at a middle school in the Stanfield Elementary School District. Chris, are you ready to give us the scoop? Absolutely. Great. Well, first, before we get going on what's happening in your school, can you give our listeners a bit of information about you and your background? Sure. First, uh, I'd like to thank you for having me on today um, and allowing me to share the positive things that we're doing at our school. Um, I, uh, I've been an educator since uh, the mid-90s and a principal since 2005, so about 14 years. I uh, began my career in uh, rural North Carolina and uh, made the move out here to Arizona in 2007 and uh, have been here in Arizona since. Um, prior to uh, coming to the Stanfield District in 2013, um, I had been the principal at the Florence Virtual Academy, which is an online school, an online public school in the Florence Unified District that I helped to establish. And prior to that, I was in the J.O. Combs District at Harmon Elementary School. Um, I've been here, as I said, at Stanfield since 2013 and have really enjoyed my time here. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a, a strong advocate, as you, as you mentioned in the, in the intro, of the education of the child. And uh, happy to be able to be here today to talk about the great things we have going on at Stanfield. Well, fantastic. So we just heard about you. Can you introduce us to your school and the district? Sure. So Stanfield is located about halfway between Casa Grande and Maricopa. Um, we have uh, oh, about 500 students uh, enrolled in our school pre-K through eighth grade. Um, we have 500 students, but um, we cover, our, our district covers a land area of about 600 square miles. So we have a lot of space that is, <clears throat> excuse me, is, is uh, sparsely populated. Um, about 75% of our, our population is Hispanic, about 20% of our population is Native American, and 5% of our population is kind of everything else mixed together. Um, that being said, we also are uh, a little over 93% um, reduced lunch. I'm sorry, free lunch, meaning that um, over 93% of our students live at or below 120% of the national poverty level. So. Uh, needless to say, we're Title I, uh, we're 20% uh, migrant, and we're also 20% McKinney-Vento homeless. So we, we serve a population that has a lot of challenges and needs, um, and our, our goal as a school is to uh, not only meet their academic needs, but also help them to be prepared to be successful in life. And in the interest of 
full disclosure, uh, I should point out before we go any further that uh, you and I work at the same district. I'm the superintendent and you're uh, the principal of, of Stanfield Elementary. So we do work uh, closely together on the projects that you're going to be talking about in the interview today. And it has been a, an absolute pleasure and uh, sincerely a, uh, an honor to work with you and, and to learn from you. Well, thank you for that, Chris. So introduce us to the Cowboy Ethics Program. Give us the, the two-minute elevator speech as far as what that program is all about. So Cowboy Ethics is based on a book by Jim Owens called uh, Cowboy Ethics, What It Takes to Win at Life. And he, he wrote this um, after uh, watching the movie Open Range. He was actually working on this book as he was watching the movie Open Range. And he began to think uh, a lot about the kind of the cowboy code um, and what that code is and whether that code is still alive. Um, he wrote a book called uh, The Ca um, Cowboy Ethics, What Wall Street Could Learn from the Wild West. And, you know, the, the principles of the code uh, really boil down to 10 different things. They, they range from living each day with courage to when you make a promise, keep it, ride for the brand, be tough but fair, do what has to be done, always finish what you start and know where to draw the line. Um, so one of the reasons that we decided to go in this direction is because at St Stanfield is the original, uh, one of the homes of John Wayne. Um, it is a ranching and farming community, and the concepts presented in this way really spoke to our student population. Dive into that a little bit deeper. What, what do you mean by the tenants of that really speak to the community? Well, I, you know, I think that we, we deal with a community that is ranching um, or farming, um, or they work in the dairies. So I, I think that uh, the, the language of the principles really speaks to our community. You know, um, when, when you make a promise, keep it, you know, uh, riding for the brand, meaning that, you know, take one for the team and, and do what needs to be done for the team uh, because the, the, the greater good, um, we put team before self. Um, talk less, say more, remember some things aren't for sale. Um, these are all principles that I think that if they were maybe written in a more formalized manner or used different language would not necessarily speak to our student population the way it does in the cowboy code. I think also the fact that we have a lot of kids here who um, do uh, ride and do do rodeo and are involved as cowboys. Um, this really does speak to them in a way that they can identify with and that's meaningful. How and why did you start this cowboy ethics program? Talk us through that. Sure. So, you know, in 2013, we had a, a, a lot of suspensions my first year here. Um, I think that year we suspended well over 300 times. And in a student population of 500, that's a lot. Um, yes. If you look at what those suspensions were for, quite often it was about disrespect, it was about, um, fighting or, uh, you know, verbal altercations, um, those kinds of things. And, and I wanted to shift things. Um, and I think, you know, one of the ways that we can do that, obviously the most powerful tool, tool on the planet is education. So we started looking at different 
different programs that we might be able to implement, how we might be able to uh, bring about that kind of positive change that we were looking for. And we came across cowboy ethics. And when I read the code, I knew that it was going to be something that was going to work here at Stanford. Because again, it's, it's, it's written in a way that, um, you know, the principles of, you know, character counts or uh, the pillars or a, a variety of other character programs, basically they're all the same. It talks about honesty, integrity, ethics, um, kindness, et cetera, being trustworthy. Right. And that's really what, what the code says. It just says it in a way that uh, I think speaks to our population more, more clearly. So that's kind of how we came across the code of the West and, and cowboy ethics and how, why, we, why we chose to implement it. Because we knew that we needed to do a character program, but that we wanted to do one that made, we made sure spoke to our student population. And how did that book, Cowboy Ethics with the 10 Codes of the West, translate into a character education classroom program? It, so what we did was we took our guidance counselor and uh, we had her teach silo lessons on each of the 10 different principles of the code. So the code may say, you know, take pride in your work, or it may say, do what has to be done, be tough but fair. But deeper underneath that, what it's saying is, you know, try your best, put your best effort forward, um, do what has to be done. Whether you like it or not, there's sometimes that we have to do things that we don't really like to do or want to do, but they have to be done. Um, Riding for the brand is about uh, teamwork. It's about uh, taking one, uh, I don't wanna say taking one for the team because that sounds kind of negative connotation, but, but it's about putting the team ahead of self. Um, talk less, say more, you know. I, I think these are all things that when you look at the, the program of character um, that, that many schools implement, the principles are, are no different. So she would, uh, our guidance counselor would go in and teach these silo lessons and then teachers would talk about the code and everything that they did. The code is posted in every single classroom on our campus, all over our campus. It's posted in my office. Um, in addition to that, I think beyond what we say, it's a bigger deal what we do. Mm -hmm. So trying to exemplify the code and use the language in the code on a regular basis has been important. Um, what, one of the other things that we did was we took our disciplinary policy and we tied all disciplinary infractions to a, wherever they violated the code. So it gives us an opportunity when we do have a student who gets into a fight or we do have a student who's disrespectful to a staff member, we can, we can then refer to the code and say, look, you know, you, you got to know where to draw the line. And did, did you break that or did you violate that? And, and nine times out of 10, they come to that conclusion on their own. So um, we've kind of done it both ways. We've done silo lessons, but we also try and integrate and embed it in everything that we do. And as far as teacher preparation, what did that look like when you were doing your initial launch? Well, you know, it required some legwork on the part of the teachers. Um, because it didn't come to us canned. It was something we kind of created. Um, the code was there, but the lesson planning wasn't. So 
It was about teachers finding ways. And I think what was very effective about it was the teachers found ways to get kids to be able to internalize the code and explain it to them. You know, when, when you talk about living with courage each day, you know, we don't, kids have to understand that being courageous doesn't necessarily mean that you're running into a burning building and saving somebody. You can be courageous by taking a stand when one of your friends is being bullied and saying, hey, this needs to stop. I'm going to go talk to an adult. Right. Um, living with courage can be that you know you didn't study for a test. And instead of taking the easy way and cheating, you do the best that you can and you go and you talk to the teacher after that and explain to them what happened and how you might be able to, um, to change things. So getting kids to be able to identify ways that each of these different principles can be exemplified in their life and then challenging them to do that. I think that the other thing is that we, we've done, again, as I said earlier, we've tried to live by the code ourselves. Right. So it's hard to teach something or give something away that you don't have. Um, well said. <laughs> yeah. So when it, when it comes to the teachers um, and, and their preparation, a lot of it was using examples of everyday life and getting kids to internalize it and create their own examples of how to do it. And I think it's been very effective in getting them to understand the different principles that are set forth in the Code of the West. And they're, they're looking through a personal lens rather than somebody else's idea of what that looks like. Exactly. So the, the learning becomes much more uh, personalized. And the paradigm is one that they've created on their own. Chris, as you think back to the initial implementation of the cowboy ethics programming, what challenges did you face and how did you overcome those challenges? Well, I think, you know, one of our biggest challenges was initially staff buy-in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it wasn't that they were resistant. I mean, I, I think anytime you try something new, there's some resistance to change. Um, but I think the way that we framed it as we presented it to them was helpful because we helped them to see how this was not only going to help our students, but it was going to help them be able to be more effective in classroom um, and getting kids to do what they needed to do in order to be successful. Um, so I, I, I think that the, the challenge also came in when it came to um, lesson planning and getting teachers to internalize that they need to create the lesson plans um, and that it wasn't a canned program that they could pull off the shelf and be able to use. So that, that was a challenge, but I think the value is, is bigger than the challenge, so to speak. So, you know, I, I talk quite frequently here at Stanfield, you and I talk quite frequently about, you know, getting in touch with and, and knowing your why. Mm-hmm. And if your why is bigger than your obstacle, your why will always win. So what I did as I presented to staff was I tried to get them to connect to their why of being educators. And 99 times out of 100, educators got into this business because they wanted to make a difference. And they want to they wanna be able to improve the lives and the quality of life of children. Um, I haven't met one yet who got into it because they wanted to be wealthy. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think getting them to connect to that why and then showing them how this 
dovetails or meshes with that Y makes the, the transition very easy um, and, and makes buy-in um, uh, go more quickly and, and be more successful. I, I also think getting kids involved is, is helpful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we not only got staff buy-in, but then we had to get student buy-in as well. And again, in our community, this kind of concept is, is easy to internalize because it's who they are. Um, it's just a matter of us giving them the language to be able to, um, to express that principle in language that they can, that they can understand it as the, that is their own. Chris, along those same lines, if another school or district were looking to replicate this program, why might they fail? What would they need to be aware of going into it as those triggers that might lead to failure? You know, I think the biggest one is kind of what we touched on earlier is, is resistance um, to buy-in and then implementation through fidelity. Um, so I think that presenting it in a way that gets teachers to be able to internalize the, the why of it and connect it to their personal why for becoming educators, um, that will make obstacles that get in the way much smaller. Um, I think that uh, implementation with fidelity is also a challenge because it is not a canned off the shelf kind of a deal. Um, it, it, presents challenges in, in helping to not only keep students on track, but keep staff on track with uh, implementation and embedding it into the culture. So to date, Chris, what are the successes of the program that you've seen? Well, I think we've had quite a few. Um, I don't think and I know it. Um, one of the things that we saw was a high number of long-term suspensions. We were losing, you know, sometimes we were doing 20 long-term suspensions a year. And that was something that, you know, you and I talk about extensively about how are we going to change this. So um, I took the code of the West and created a alternative school based on the 10 principles in the code of the West. So our alternative school, and, and, and folks are welcome to check out the website. It's actually called uh, Stanfield rise.weebly.com uh, but you can see there on the site uh, the kids it's a behavior modification program based on levels and at each level they gain privileges um, and opportunities and the goal is to hopefully help them matriculate through the program so that in 45 days they can get out but it lasts a minimum of 45 days if it takes longer then it takes longer but uh, students have an opportunity to do that. So each phase of it is named after a, a phase of uh, bull riding. So the first five days are called um, in the shoot. Uh, the next 10 days are called out of the gate. The next 15 days are called um, the ride. And then the final 10 days are called the purse. And at each stage, they have to help identify their their issue, what, what behavior it was that got them in there. They have to start looking at the principles of the Code of the West. Um, we also incorporate mindfulness into what we do. Um, 
And as the kids get through the program, whenever they move out of the program and are ready to transition back to class, we make sure that we set up support for them with that teacher, um, the teacher in the program to make sure that they maintain. Additionally, they get a belt buckle, says Stanfield Rise, Code of the West. Um, because we wanted to make it a big deal for these kids to be able to get out of there. And what's what I think has been successful is number one, we've had a significant decrease in the number of long-term suspensions. Two, a very interesting thing has occurred. And it was kind of something that I anticipated happening because I know that kids who get in trouble oftentimes are kids who struggle academically. Right. Uh, and it's kind of the chicken or the egg thing. Do they struggle academically because they get in trouble or do they get in trouble because they struggle academically? Um, what, what we have found is we have a lot of kids who don't want to leave the alternative program. They like being in there. In fact, they'll get to the, the purse of that level four and then they'll try and sabotage themselves so that they can stay in there longer. Um, I think the success in that is one, we've decreased our long-term suspensions. Two, we've created a program that kids really feel successful in. And three, I think it has the power to change how we interact with kids on a much larger scale other than just in that classroom. Uh, those are some of the, uh, the more behaviorally challenged kids on our campus that are in that room. And you can walk in there and, you know, more often than not, uh, you've got students who are engaged, who are respectful, who are kind, and uh, who are happy. They, they love their teacher. And I think that's a real critical part um, of this, Dr. Seydorf, is getting the right fit when it comes to the teacher in the classroom. It's got to be somebody, I call our teacher kind of the velvet hammer. <laughs> um, she is soft in that she has kind of a very nurturing um, personality, but she can also be the hammer in that she has very high expectations and um, can be fairly rigid in those expectations because what these students need so often is structure. Right. So staff placement was, was really important for us there. So it's, it's really it's gone beyond just a character program. And, and I do believe that it's beginning to become embedded in the culture here at Stanford. Do you have a most inspiring success story that you can share with us? Um, you know, we had a, we had a student here a couple of years ago. He was a high school kid. He's a high school kid now. Um, when we first started this, who this young man, um, he just, he had been here, uh, well, I'd been with him, that was two years ago, so I'd been with him for four years, and during that four-year time period, he was long-term suspended or got himself in trouble multiple times. Um, now, I remember him going into that program, and he and I talking about it, and me sitting across from him and looking at him and saying, son, you know, you don't have to choose this path. There is a better way for and there's greatness inside you, and I know it. And I think that the relationship we have to work on for you is you've got to be able to work on the relationship that you have with yourself. Mm -hmm. Because until you find yourself and you build a relationship with yourself, you're not going to be able to build one with anybody else. He went through the RISE program, 
got out of the RISE program in, in about 50 days, um, did not get in trouble again the rest of his eighth grade year. Um, in fact, there were a couple of times where we had incidents that happened on campus and this young man was able to give me information to help me take care of it. And I, I do remember him coming to me at the end of the year and saying, you know, you're the only one I've ever talked to at a school, the only principal I ever talked to at a school that really made me feel like they cared about me. And he got tears in his eyes and, and uh, I have to admit that I had tears in mine. Um, it was a beautiful thing and it was a beautiful thing to be able to see a young person who has a lot of challenges outside of his academic life, be able to come in, be able to complete something like cowboy ethics, learn about the 10 principles of cowboy ethics, but at the same time also be able to learn tools and strategies through mindfulness and through physical activity because as you said in the very beginning, you know, this is about the whole child. We can't just treat or uh, be focused on one component. Um, I hear teachers sometimes will say, I teach chemistry or I teach math or I teach science. Or, and, and my response to that um, is you teach children. And if you're going to teach children, I think if we're going to be effective, we have to be willing and able uh, and skilled at teaching the whole child because they need these skills in order to be successful in life. And this young man's graduating from high school this year. So it, it works. Um, we have a low, uh, a low rate of kids either returning to the program or uh, getting kicked out um, or making a decision to, to where they really do need to be long-term suspended. So, you know, having kids who um, have been through trauma and experienced significant trauma um, working with that teacher to help educate her on how trauma impacts learning and behavior and how we can do things here at school to be able to help negate some of the effects. Um, you know, we have kids who at the beginning of the year wouldn't come out from under the desk that were in the, that are in this class. And I was just in there this morning. Every single one of those children is sitting at their desk. They greeted me when I came in. They're happy to be in school. Every one of them's a success story. I, I could go on all day. I'm, I'm proud of my students and I'm proud of my teacher and the work that she's done in there because this really has been an outstanding um, opportunity for us to do good things for kids. So Chris, let's, let's talk about that a little bit more about the whole child initiatives. What are some of the other things that you have in place here at Stanfield that either complement or support the cowboy ethics programming at the school? Well, I think, you know, if you, if you look at the way that, when you look at the whole person, what you're, you're looking at body, mind, spirit, right? And when we talk about spirit, I'm not talking in a religious sense, kind of that in, inner self. Um, so body, mind, spirit is about helping a child to be physically healthy, helping them to be academically successful, and helping them to be um, successful in emotional regulation and dealing with their kind of internal dialogue. 
So some of the things that we've done here at Stanfield a couple of years ago, we won a $100,000 fitness center from the National Foundation of Governors Fitness Councils. Uh, we had Governor Ducey and Jake Steinfield, the body by Jake guy, mm -hmm. come out and present that to us. We um, just won a mountain biking grant. So we have 30 mountain bikes that we can use and we now use as part of our physical education uh, classwork. Uh, we have a beautiful 22 seed bed garden with a watermelon patch that uh, our students are going to be tending to um, and planting. We have a meditation room that, um, in fact, today uh, is, is opening up to kids um, that one of our, uh, our folks here won a grant through the uh, Fiesta Bowl. Um, so we now have a meditation room here on our campus for kids to be able to reconnect. And, and what it really boils down to <clears throat> is that if, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy, we know that for kids to reach self-actualization, uh, the highest level, they, they ha we have to take care of their basic needs. And for so many of our students, they're lacking some of those basic needs when they come to us. And I really see it as a I guess you could call it a choice of we can complain about the fact that they don't have those tools when they come to us. They don't have those resources when they come to us, or we can help them to acquire those resources and those skills so that they can be better prepared to reach their best version of themselves. And that's the tack that we have chosen. Um, that's the path that as our superintendent, you've laid out for us that um, we are going to be committed to educating the whole child, which means that every kid on our campus gets PE every day. It means that when it comes to nutrition here on our campus, we do have free breakfast and free lunch. But what's interesting to me is, I, as I've talked to schools around the state and around the country, when we talk about academics, if I said to you that, you know, <clears throat> Our academic performance is at standard, but we could do better, but it's at standard. As a superintendent or a principal or a parent, you're not going to be happy about that. Yet when we talk about nutrition on our campuses, oftentimes I talk to principals or superintendents or food service directors, and I say, do you think that we can do better? And their response to me is, we're meeting the standard. <laughs> We have to be as willing to excel, and I'm grateful that I'm in a district that is, to excel in the food that we put in their bodies, the tools that we give them to, to promote self-regulation, as we are, the physical activity that we give them an opportunity to engage in, as we are about the academic success that they achieve. Because honestly, I know that testing is important, but what's most important to me is the real test. And the real test is when life comes at them and hits them in the mouth, which it will, how are they going to respond to it? And are they going to be able to overcome it? Right. And so my objective is give them the academic knowledge that they need in order to be successful um, in the business world or in whatever uh, career they decide to have. But I think of equal importance is to give them the, the tools and the resources to be able to be as successful in their personal lives, whether it's physical health or it's the health of their, their, um, 
their spirit, so to speak, the, the kind of that internal version of themselves. I, I think it's important that the test they pass is a test that life is going to present. And that's not always a test that can be measured in academics. Chris, what support or resources are available for others to tap into if they wanted to start a program like Cowboy Ethics? Well, we'd love to have them come out and see what we're doing. Um, and when I say that, I don't say that, that we have all the answers <laughs> either. <laughs> I think it's a great opportunity for dialogue and discussion um, to talk about the things that we're doing, to hear kind of how they might implement, and also to be able to grow our program as a result of their, their, the, the experiences that they can bring to us. Um, I, I think that would be really valuable to us. Um, you know, so that, that would be one. Um, additionally, uh, James Owen, the Cowboy Ethics, they have some training that they provide. Um, it takes place up in Wyoming. Um, and uh, you, can, you can, if you Google Cowboy Ethics and uh, training, they'll, you'll be able to find the, uh, you'll, you'll be able to find the program. I think it's also a middle school program that they have called Be Somebody. Um, so there are a lot of different options about there uh, as far as cowboy ethics goes and, and being able to offer support. The book is phenomenal. It's a, it's a beautiful um, kind of coffee table book, if you will, with some absolutely stunning uh, pictures, many of which I believe were taken here in Arizona. Um, but it also contains some great information about living by the code and the different tenets of the code, et cetera. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, Chris, how can they do that? Uh, a, a number of different ways. Um, you can find me on uh, my email account, uh, clineberry at roadrunners24.net. Um, they can give us a call here at the school at 520-424-0222. Um, they can hit us on Facebook. We have a Stanfield Roadrunners Facebook page. Um, uh, any way that we can be of, of benefit or, or help, we're, we're happy to, to assist. And again, eager to learn. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being involved with the podcast today. I want to let all the Rural Scoop listeners know that Chris's contact information will be available in the show notes. So you can check that out at the Arizona Rural School Association website at azruralschools.org and get more detailed information on how to get in touch with Chris. Don't forget, you can also find the Rural Scoop in iTunes. Be sure to leave a rating so that that helps with our podcast visibility. We want to get the story of what's good with rural out into that iTunes community. Thanks again, Chris, for talking with us today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it and uh, look forward to interacting with lots of folks from rural schools throughout the state of Arizona. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.